0: You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Good evening, guys. How's everybody doing? Locked On Browns, episode 160. Uh, Guys, the continued support, uh, you guys have been fantastic. I cannot thank you enough. Numbers keep going up. Uh, Looking at another monster month here for February, which, you know, it's early and it's only a 28-day month, but things are looking real promising. Uh, you know, a lot of people told me that you guys were really, really going to be into the offseason and obviously I'm getting that. Obviously you guys so much is going on. Obviously with a big free agency, you know, obviously lots of money to spend, you know, the uh changes in the front office, the draft to come, uh, looking to guide you guys, you know, guide you guys all the way through that. Uh here tonight, uh first time around Locked On Browns. I've been trying to get back and forth and get him on here, but uh when you got one guy with three kids and you got me with two kids, look sometimes schedules don't always mesh. But uh, very thankful and uh, you know glad to have from Bleacher Report here this evening, great balance uh, cover guy, uh, Brett Sobleski. Brett, first off, how you doing, man? Thanks some time. How's the family? All that good stuff.
0: Well, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm feeling good about being number 160. I haven't been 160 since probably junior high, so that definitely makes me feel better somewhere along the way. But overall, I'm doing great, man. You know, living the dream, get to talk, write, watch football all day long, and then have raised three children with my wife and then being the fact that we haven't had to pay all the all, all the babysitting fees and things along the way saves you a lot of, a lot of money my friend along the way so it's a beautiful beautiful life and it, it's really fun to be able to cover the NFL like I've had for the last well I've been doing off and on for the last 13 14 years
1: yeah and it is funny actually because uh, you know once my kids uh, they're only one year apart uh, so they're 11 and 10 my girls fifth and fourth grade. And in our town, where we live, it's full-time kindergarten. So the second the second one was in the full-time kindergarten, I kind of just did the head turn. I'm like, well, what's are you going to do with yourself now? <laughs> and uh, she actually works at another grammar school in town, and she works over there four to five hours a day. So it's a perfect mix and match. But, you know, so many people, you know, oh, you know, oh we both want to work, we both want to work, we both want to work. Well, you know, take one salary and throw it out the window because, yeah. you know, that's the way it's going to work. You know, and obviously this way, the you know, the economy, all the things are going on here. Look, you need every dime that you can. So it's kind of funny, you know, every, every guy, it's always in the same situation. Uh, but uh, Brent, now the first time that you're on here, you know, with everybody they have had on, uh, you know, you know, not to harp again on the regular season, I think all of us feel the team was better than 0-16. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is where we are. This is who we are. Uh, some changes were made. Uh, you know, give me a state. You know, where you are on the roster. Obviously, I you know a lot. A lot of additions have been made to the front office. I think they're going all in here, trying to get a strength in numbers approach as far as every decision they make in this off season. So go ahead and start us off on there.
0: Well, looking at the team coming out of the 2016 campaign, one of the things I found difficult was the overall approach that we saw Jimmy Haslam take on two fronts. First and foremost the biggest problem that's beset the team for the last two seasons isn't necessarily their drafting or their coaching. It's organizational structure. And he set up what I define as a boardroom approach with multiple heads of the departments directly reporting to him. And this created friction and, and it was became obvious throughout the regular season when Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown were butting heads, which ultimately led to Brown's dismissal. Now you bring in John Dorsey. And I have nothing but praise for John Dorsey, the job he's done, and the personnel he's brought in. But that same lingering problem is still found within the organization based on the structure. When you have a head coach that can still gain the ear of an owner, if he's not entirely happy with a general manager's decision, you can potentially have problems forthcoming once again. So when I look at that, that leads me into my second my second thought of where the Browns currently stand. Again, I love the direction of the front office. I believe that you have multiple talented men that's been hired within the last couple months, whether it be Dorsey, Highsmith, or uh, Wolf. Th- those guys are the nucleus of what could be potentially a great front office. But when you have a forced marriage, as I call it, with a head coach that wasn't chosen by the front office – this is These rarely work in the NFL, and I'm not trying to be overly negative to start our conversation. It's just problem areas that I foresee based on their current makeup of the Cleveland Browns. And when we move forward, the best you can hope for, at least from a fan, those who still show up and those who like to interact with us on social media um, and multiple uh, websites as well, you can hope that... that Hugh Jackson has swallowed his pride a little bit. And maybe we have seen that with the Todd Haley hire. uh, But that's a combustible group of men in the same building. And it's something where I believe that when you have Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, and Greg Williams, who have some of the biggest personalities in professional football, add that to John Dorsey and and his crew that he's developing. And it's an all-or-nothing season. And I'm looking at it in that regard. It's either this works out wonderfully and the Browns start to get back on their feet, finding the right talent and start building towards a long-term competitive uh, franchise or it implodes. And I'm really struggling, even though it's in February to see any in between those two points. And basically that's my state of the Browns. Uh, and, And some, I know some fans will think that's pessimistic, but it's just understanding the history with all of these men.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, I think, you know, Dorsey came in and he kind of maybe extended the olive branch on, you know, with the, you know, maybe this roster isn't talented yet enough. And I think that was maybe his initial olive branch where, you know, some of us who've been looking at this deeply, we feel otherwise. But you want to know what? I, I don't think he was going to come in and just say, you know, this is a piss poor team. You know, and you know, yada, 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 and we, we've got to revamp this roster because you can't really say that either because that's all that's been done you know, for the <laughs> last 15 to 20 years. So, uh, you know, and he's not exactly going to come in and say, well, you know, Sashi Brown had a really good first round last year, great, some t- talented players, because then people are going to wonder why in the world did you get the job then? You know, so I think he was good in that respect. I think the one thing people get confused in here is, you know, look, A.J. McCarron may be part of this. I don't know necessarily whether or not it's going to be Hugh Jackson call. I don't think any decision is going to be made factoring Hugh Jackson into the equation. I think Hugh right now is kind of along for the ride, and I think it's, well, you have the chance to be the head coach if we improve, and you'll look better because of that, but I don't think there's any long-term decisions right now that are being made with Hugh Jackson as far as being part of it, right?
0: Well, looking at the number one overall pick, I believe we'll find out very quickly who exactly isn't calling the shots and and, and who they're developing towards long-term. And and by that, I'm looking at if I am breaking down the quarterbacks in this year's class, whether we're discussing Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, or even Lamar Jackson, if I were to identify a quarterback based on my own studies that is an ideal fit for Hugh Jackson's system – it would be Josh Rosen, and I wouldn't look look any further. He's His skill set fits exactly what Hugh Jackson wants to do on the field. Furthermore, one of the things I pointed out uh, earlier today on Twitter is he's working with Tom House. And for anyone who knows um, Hugh Jackson's proclivities, especially with his quarterbacks, he sends them to Tom House and company at each and every offseason. We saw it with Cody Kessler. We saw it with Deshaun Kaiser. Even Andy Dalton stemming back to the Cincinnati Bengals days. So he would have an inside track on the knowledge that is Josh Rosen. Now, I'm I'm stating this knowing full well that Dorsey can make that evaluation and also believe that Josh Rosen is worthy of the number one overall pick. But if there's any other direction taken, whether it is Sam Darnold, or josh allen or baker mayfield maybe not with the number one overall pick we know he's not catering directly to the preferences of his head coach and they're looking more beyond 2017 and into the excuse me 2000 i'm losing my my year 2018 and beyond so to me that that's going to be the crux of this entire offseason you'll see that fulcrum point uh very early in the process of how they plan on building this team in in view of not only who's calling the shots but who's the head coach as well
1: guys you're listening to lockdown browns we got brent zobleski here uh with us tonight from bleacher report uh guys great time now sneak off real quick leave the five-star review make sure you subscribe tell your friends come on let's get these listeners up here i want more feedback i want everything you guys want to hear about as we go through this offseason now, like you said, Brent, the, the interesting thing here is though, for me, whether you're viewing it from Hugh Jackson's Hugh Jackson standpoint or not, for me, it's it's Josh Rosen. It's been Josh Rosen probably since November. I was a Sam Darnold guy. I think Josh Rosen surpassed him this year. I think he significantly surpassed him. There were things we wanted to see from Darnold, so we'll continue with Rosen here. Uh, you went with your stand tall and deliver here. You know, if you're giving out the uh, if you want to call them the Sobo awards, this is the <laughs> one that Josh took home. Um, and the interesting thing here thing would be here is as much as Hugh, you know it seems like you know connect the dots that he would want Josh Rosen. if Hugh is going to continue to treat his talent like he did this past year, this would be the ultimate flame demise to Hugh Jackson because if there's one young man at the quarterback position in this class who's not going to take it because he is that intelligent and it's Josh Rosen. I mean, if it doesn't go out perfectly from the get-go, it could get get ugly real quick.
0: There's there's absolutely no doubt about it. Again, especially when you factor Todd Haley into the equation, who is a very strong-minded individual as well. You know, when we look at Josh Rosen, so often we hear off-the-field concerns. And the reality of the situation is that if you're intelligent and have interests outside of football, which Josh Rosen does, then it's a it's a black mark against you in the NFL and I know people think Especially
1: that we at the quarterback position
0: you're absolutely correct and, and let me use a, 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 a quick example not of the quarterback position but someone that Brown's fans will certainly remember and probably not fondly a few years back obviously I was at the NFL combine and Owen Marisic, uh the future Browns fullback at that time was at the podium and very few people were, or, or the reporters were talking to him. And I had known that there was rumors floating from the scouting community that no team was wanted to touch him because he had a bright future as a neurosurgeon. And that was used against him because he was that intelligent coming out of Stanford and that he could become a doctor when his NFL career was over. Obviously, he flamed out with the Cleveland Browns and his and his professional career did not extend to the – the length that he preferred but it just goes to show you as an example that if you have any if you're not one of those guys that live and breathe football then there's question marks about you and, I, and that is directly applicable to josh rosen and how he's viewed yes he has he's opinionated yes he has uh he's, his father had uh, political ties yes he <laughs> rosen himself has his own political opinions that you can find on social media. Yeah, and any,
1: I heard there's a picture on a golf course somewhere.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, these things is why the next two months are absolutely crucial within the evaluation process because most, of, most prospects we're, we'll discuss or over the, or that extended period of time, most of their evaluation is done. You, it goes through years of tape. You have you have all the scouts submitted uh, the reviews and evaluations. But it's so important for the quarterback position when it comes to the combine and the senior bowl and these personal team visits to get to know them as people. And while you may be absolutely right when it comes down to Rosen being worthy of that number one overall pick, um, you have to be comfortable with the person at that position as much as you are the talent. And that is a very – and that's questionable at this point when it comes to Rosen. It's not as questionable when you're talking about Sam Darnold. It is questionable when you're talking about Baker Mayfield. It's not questionable when you're talking about Josh Allen. So, you know, these are things that are going to be decided in the next few months. So when people say, well, I don't see a quarterback worthy of number one. First of all, let's get this out of the way. There are multiple quarterbacks that have the legitimate potential to go number one overall. But we're going to see. We're going to see one of them rise to the top because teams become far more comfortable with them as a person and their understanding of the game and their work ethic and all those little nuances that go along with that position. And that will make them the number one overall pick, whether it be Rosen or Darnold or anyone in between. So I think that's why, to your point, Rosen has that ability. And there's no denying that whatsoever. It just – we have to discover who he is and how he's going to become the leader of a franchise. And that's a huge portion of this entire evaluation and this monster decision awaiting the Cleveland Browns.
1: And I think even that's the thing. I mean, there's going to be stuff they're going to be able to get to in Indy, but I think they have to find a way to make sure they can kind of get each one of these quarterbacks to come out to the facility. You want Miles Garrett in the room. You want a Jamie Collins in the room. Joe Thomas, if he doesn't retire, meet with him, all right? We're going to take you to the airport, put you back on your plane, and say, guys... What do you think? Is this guy going to be 100 to 10 percent all in? Because he's, you know, we have him as the most talented guy, but is he just going to do what he needs to do? You know, and that's going to be something. And you know, and I think Josh Rosen himself is going to have to realize that maybe having outside thoughts and outside activities that you want to pursue right now. I mean, I want to make a lot of money playing in the NFL. Okay, but do you understand? what the mannings did to do that do you understand and even tom brady do you understand what tom brady has done to do this in a longevity to make damn near 200 million dollars so that's things you have to see with him um we're going to go to sam darnold here uh you and and i think this one is before
0: you move on we have now the most important factor of evaluation is tomorrow or today whenever you you uh put push this out there um it is Josh Rosen's 21st birthday, so we have to make sure his teammates are at that event. Uh,
1: yeah, that is the rumor, and it was. Uh, it's actually funny. It was the young kid, and uh, he, he got beat up a little bit because he put out a tweet about Baker Mayfield during uh, the Senior Bowl, and he took a lot of heat for it. Look, the kid owned it. You know, look, everybody's had a screw-up on Twitter. Just let stuff like that go. But, uh, you know, so yeah, Josh Rosen's 21 today. But look, a lot of the UCLA guys, they've stepped up. And, and Jairi Alexander, cornerback from Louisville, 21st birthday today, too. Guys, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> you're, you're this close. I actually, too. do a lot of
0: things stupid. It's so much fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, I mean, look, it gives us a lot to talk about, a lot to write about for Brett. But, guys, look, you're this close. Please, just don't do anything dumb. Um, we're going to go on over to Sam Darnold. Uh, obviously, you know, improvisation. And and this is what and, – and, and I had um, Dan Orlovsky, uh, 12-year NFL vet quarterback come on. He's actually come onto the writing scene. He's fantastic. He's very strong with his opinions. Knows what he's talking about. Look, you won't. You don't survive in the NFL as a backup for twelve years unless you know what it entails to play the game. And obviously, Dan did. And he, he was kind of in line with you on Sam Darnold. Um, look, it's not always pretty, but it seems effective. But go ahead. You know your uh, pitch here on Sam.
0: Well, the thing with with Sam, and and this is again, we're talking about all these prospects, and, and we have to keep in mind one thing first and foremost. Rosen turns 21 today. Darnold's not 20, won't turn 21 till next year. Then you have uh, Lamar Jackson, who just turned 21 in January. You, This is a very important part of the process and something that also applies to Deshaun Kaiser as well, being a 21 year old rookie who started most of the year. You know they're not finished products, nor should they be at this stage of their lives. And when you look at Sam Darnold, let's stay away from the mental aspects because obviously. That's not fully known to all of us who don't get to sit down with the young man, who don't get to uh, break down film with him. Um, so when we're looking at it, his physical capabilities at four, about 225 pounds with movement skills. And what what I wrote about that was so pro- impressive to me was his ability to disassociate his lower body mechanics from his upper body. And I, when we discussed the quarterback position – Footwork and base is so important to playing, uh, to playing behind center. If you talk to any quarterback for any extended period of time, or guys like uh, Orlovsky, Bartell, um, Jordan Palmer, Trent Dilfer, who now train quarterbacks uh, after they retire, they talk about how everything's from the ground up, and that's how they they coach these young men. But there's a special talent to be able to deliver a ball accurately and with velocity when you're working off platform and when you can't set your feet and when you look at the nfl with the amount of pressure that we see on a consistent basis on down by down basis when you have teams like the jacksonville and jaguars and the philadelphia eagles who come at you in waves with multi- a multitude of different pass rushers you need those guys who can not only just extend plays but create as well nick Foles isn't the most mobile guy in the nfl and that's 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 an understatement.
1: But <laughs> well, he caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl, Brett.
0: Exactly. But what you saw in, in a couple of situations, particularly on third down, was he was able to extend plays just by his movement skills in and around the pocket and, and still make tremendous throws on target and on time, even though he wasn't able to set his feet. And this is something where Sam Darnold truly shines. If you want him to stand in the pocket and pick apart – a defense, you know, that's showing a cover three shell. He's not capable of doing that on a consistent basis. Yes, he can do so, but you don't see him make the right decisions uh, on a down by down basis. What you what you do know is, anytime something breaks down and he's outside of structure, he has the ability to be absolutely spectacular. And I think when, when we discuss this in, in from the lens of the Cleveland Browns, Josh Rosen is the most talented at this point meaning like when when you put on that tape of ucla versus usc one of them looks like the number one overall pick and it's not sam darnold
1: and it was obvious
0: yes exactly you look at baker mayfield and he does everything you want him to do except for measuring the right height (laughs) and obviously we can nitpick his his game a little bit as well sam darnold's that guy that kind of falls in between he's very young He's got a great mentality. He's a good athlete. He's got the arm you're looking for. Yes, the mechanics and the footwork need to be improved, but he's the guy with the best long-term potential, the guy that you can see being the best overall four, five, six years down the road. And that's why I I look at him as that um, compromise potentially with the number one overall pick. He might not be the guy that Hugh Jackson, for example, would want now, uh, but John Dorsey may see him as a solid fit in the scheme because of his ability to create plays vertically, and then at the same time has that, has that potential to be the face of a franchise for, for a multitude of years. So I think when we look at him, he's a projection, and he, it's, I, I, it's not a fair comparison because their skill sets aren't identical, but almost like Cam Newton coming into the NFL. When you wasn't exactly sure what he can do in an NFL system, but you just knew the talent was there. And that's why I'm looking at Darnold in, in, his, in, in the way teams are most likely viewing him as we enter the process where he needs to stay to establish himself as that elite talent.
1: Yeah, and two things with Sam. And, and what um, Dan Olarski had mentioned was, is, look, you don't coach a guy the way Sam Darnold plays Just like you did not Tony Romo. It works for them, so therefore they get away with it. You know, that type of thing. The other thing is with Sam Darnold is with him, you don't really have any of the, is there anything else he's concerned about in life other than being a good NFL quarterback. So you can go to him and say, look, the footwork is going to, in the pocket, is something you're going to continue to have to work with weekly, daily, for the rest of your career. He'll do it. You know, the amount of extra film work that's got to go into you're not going to have any doubts about him doing it. It's you know he's 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 already bought in. He's shown that he's bought in. So and I still think at the end of the day, when you look at the front office, Cleveland has put together. I think it's Donald's the leader in the clubhouse right now. I think it's safe to say that, just because you know exactly what you're getting with him. Where the other ones, there are questions, and it's not always the talent, like you said, and it's it, 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 there's other things around it. But you got to make sure that this is the safest decision for you. Not today. But, like you said, five, five, six years down the road.
0: Plus, how can you not love a player, especially a quarterback, who his own parents nicknamed him Flatline because that's his personality?
1: His grandfather was the Marlboro man, for God's sakes. I mean, can you get any better? I mean, come The on. famous dick hammer. Right. I mean, <laughs> that alone. I mean, they'll make up 14 jerseys with hammer on it. Uh, we're <laughs> get, we'll go on over to Eddie uh, Calvin Lelouch here. I'm sorry, I mean, Josh Allen. Look, uh, everything about him just screams the part it does the size the arm it, it, ridiculous you know Matt Waldman had a great one up the other day with him just running around for 17 seconds with the Benny Hill music I was literally just dying because you're gonna get killed on Sundays doing that Josh Allen I don't care if you're 6'5", 240 or not um, everything you want but I don't care what Mel Kuyper says I don't care what all these big names says everything you watch of this guy says you wanna know what I'd really like to bring him in and I'd really like to see in about a year and a half maybe where he's at. Which screams to me, you know, bottom, you know, after pick 50. You know, it's a luxury pick for somebody later in the second round.
0: Well, when I look at Josh Allen, I was, and and I'm going to be up front and eat a little crow right off the bat that I wrote an article over a year ago from Bleach Report that And the title was, Josh Allen is the quarterback the NFL has been waiting for. That was the exact title.
1: But a year ago, before they even started about talking him, going into the 17 draft, that's where it was. And then it was fine. Here's a guy we really got to put on the radar. But go ahead.
0: Well, no, and that's exactly the point I was going to make. At the end, you you talk about everything that's wonderful about him when you're writing an uh, article of that nature. At the end, you tend to underscore what his weaknesses are you don't give him an extensive review because you know he's young you know he has the potential but there's always that caveat that he needs to continue to improve particularly in the nuances of playing the quarterback position so when i watched him this year that's what i was specifically looking to see if he improved because we know the arm talent we know the size we know the athleticism we even know the background of his head coach who helped develop Carson Wentz in the system that brought him along. All these are positives. What's not positive and, and what bothers me about the narrative that surrounds Josh Allen at the moment is that you can't separate him from his surrounding cast or lack of surrounding cast. Yes, he lost his top two receivers from last year. Yes, he lost his top running back. And, yes, he lost his starting center. But you can still look at traits and how they translate completely separate of the individual from those around him. And what I saw was questionable decision-making, poor mechanics, and even poor ball placement at times. If you turn on Iowa, you will see the tape against Iowa to open a season. You will see throws from the opposite hash on a quick out or deep out that are absolutely fantastic. You will also see him uh, skid a few of those passes out there like he's a throwing a rock across a pond. <laughs> and so, you know, when, when you have that spectacular nature to the, to your game, you're always going to be enticing because every scout believes that you can coach up traits. Every coach believes that he can get the most out of you. But the reality is, while we should look at the positives to these players, you have to wonder to yourself, are the negatives impossible to overcome? And, I, and to an extent... With accuracy and ball placement, true accuracy, not not the percentage we see everywhere, but consistently hitting receiver in stride to where he can um, create after the catch. That type of accuracy, does he have that to, to a level to play and become a top-notch professional? And that's where I question Um I know he's not gifted with a lot of easier passes like some of these offenses, but we, I, you, you can turn on any tape of any game and see him outright miss throws. And yes, even the great quarterbacks miss throws, but it's consistent over two years seeing the poor decisions and the poor ball placement. And that's, to me, accuracy is inherent to a degree. You can only teach it up so much and decision-making is the same thing and ability to process um, when you're going through post snap reads, these are all natural gifts that they can be coached and they can be improved, but only to a certain degree. And so, I don't expect him to become the next great thing. I expect him to get a chance and potentially succeed in the right situation. But overall, I question whether he has the aptitude to truly become an elite NFL starter.
1: Well, and the one you you went you mentioned the Iowa game and it was the interception on the screen pass. And everybody, oh, well, you know, no, just throw it at your running back's feet. It it wasn't there, but you tried to make it there, and it would have graded out a million times better if he had just thrown the ball in the dirt there as opposed to trying to get creative and do something. And maybe this is because, you know, obviously, look, a lot of pressure was put onto Josh Allen, unfairly to him. You know, look, I mean, it's going to happen. You get a guy, 6'5", 240, he's got the rocket arm. He's going to blast up a board just from measurements alone which was never fair to him, but at the end of the day, you just have to go back and look at what you saw. And what I saw was a guy who had a very difficult time in a non-Power 5, you know, quarterbacking a non-Power 5 school. Uh, the accuracy was terrible. Um, you know, everybody wanted to get excited over the bowl game, which was still, I think, what did he throw, for a little bit less than 200 yards and three touchdowns against Central Michigan? I, I mean, don't, don't buy it. Don't get force-fed something that isn't there. It's a project. It's a big one. Granted, it's a project you want to take a, a gamble on, but that's something you do second day and, and from there. It's not something you I, I mean, I'm not risking my job in round one on Josh Allen. Brent, I know you're not. It's just not the move you're going to sensibly make.
0: Well, it's something that we don't discuss enough throughout this entire process is confirmation bias. and. You know, it would have been easy for myself to know that what I wrote a year ago and allowed it to take over what I thought of as evaluation, instead of trying to separate myself and watch him through new eyes and see if his ability translates to the NFL based on what I saw in 2017. And I didn't. And I didn't allow myself to try to rationalize my previous ranking of him. And I, I will be blatant when I said I thought – he came in the season as the number one overall prospect, and now I view him as a late first, early second round guy that you develop behind a veteran quarterback. So, when we look at it, I do believe that there you see those traits, and everyone fell in love with those traits, and yet some got stuck on them and never moved beyond that point, while others continued the evaluation and saw, you know. Maybe he doesn't deserve to be in the same conversation as, as these other prospects who showed far more promise and produced more at a higher level.
1: And, well, and that's the thing. Now we'll switch on over. Obviously, uh, you know Baker Mayfield, you know, and now it was obviously good the way they handled the senior bowl. They put him both so everybody can get to see. You know, obviously the two best quarterback prospects there side by side. Um, the thing with Baker is, you know, as we talked about with some of these other guys, is the age is still young. So look, you know, some of the quirkiness and some of those things, maybe they're forgiven because they are just 20, just turning 21. Baker already in at 23 years old. But here's the thing, and if Baker Mayfield measured in two inches taller in Mobile, number one is said and done. I mean, Baker could be buying a house in Cleveland because that's basically what he has shown over the last year and a half. And I don't think anybody did more in the 2017 season to solidify their game and you know probably draft grade on the field than Baker.
0: You know what's amazing is l- let's take a step back to last year. Mitchell Trubisky measured in at just over six foot two. Patrick Mahomes was six foot two flat. No one questioned them going in the top ten based on size because you could see their natural ability. And I, I agree with you that it's difficult to pick apart Baker Mayfield's game based on what we saw this past season. You know, he grew. He was the antithesis of Josh Allen in that you didn't have the physical tools and he continued to get better. His arm strength improved, um, his timing, his accuracy. Everything got better in his senior season. The statistics may not overall reflect that, at least with his completion percentages we were discussing earlier. And that's why it's misleading because if you saw the way – that he commanded that offense. And yes, there's question marks about the offense, but you can also find NFL caliber throws within the scheme as well. The way he commanded it with such precision and the ability to consistently make the right read and right throw is often not valued enough. And... We look at it as, well, he only makes throws to the first read. Yes, that's problematic if you don't see the quick eyes that go through a progression when he's forced off of it and still make an accurate throw. But the reality is you build an offense so that you're capable of hitting that first read. That's the entire point. And with Baker Mayfield, you have that guy that is just so deadly accurate no matter what level of the field he's throwing to. And there are certain areas... Like when he went down to the senior bowl, as you pointed out, he could have been a little better on his deep throws, could have been a little more consistent. But when he was standing next to Josh Allen, yes, you saw the physical difference, but I also saw a quarterback that was consistently throwing darts accurately to wide receivers he's never played with, whereas Josh Allen was struggling specifically earlier in the week to really build any type of rhythm. And I – I struggle, as you stated as well, to find that weakness that tells me he's not worth the number one overall pick. The only thing, the only reason any of us believe that is because he's six foot tall. And to me, that would not be any reason to prevent me from taking him with that first overall selection.
1: I honestly think the odds increase as we get closer and closer to April that he could be that person. Uh, Because you just keep going back to the film. And like you said, though, everybody, oh, well, you know, he consistently hits his first read. Well, that's why a play is drawn up. You know, nobody says, oh, well, you know what, thank God we were able to hit the back out of the flat there for three yards and now it's (laughs) second and seven. You know, so, you know, it's almost like, you know, that's almost like finding a way to critique it because you don't want to consistently say, well, he's only six feet tall. You know, his hands, you know, they, they were big enough as well. It's a shame to him. Look, and at the end of the day, he is what he is. You know, size-wise, he can't change that. Um, he's been through a lot. He's been doubted from basically up until the point now that he's 23 years old. I do believe he's got a a, a significant puncher's chance to go one overall here. Um, at the end of the day, though, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. Maybe it's better for him where he can get himself into a situation that's not going to be as tough as trying to bring Cleveland back from the dead. So it is interesting. Uh, I want to shift on over to Lamar Jackson here.
0: Well, can I say one more thing real of quick, Jeff? Of course
1: you can, dude. When
0: you look at it, those type of attitudes, whether it be Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen, might be the absolute perfect thing you need in Cleveland. Guys who just don't care anymore. They don't care about the 27 previous starters. They don't care about 1 and 31. They don't care about head coaches who play politics. What they care about is coming in, doing their job, winning games, and, and producing like a number one overall pick. You need that attitude sometimes. Let's be honest. Guys like Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady's Brady aren't the nicest guys on the Phillip field. Rivers are the nicest guys off the field, either. To be quite frank with you, so that I don't, I want the personality where the guy is going to try to bring the best out of everyone because he has a certain expectation for himself, and I think that that applies to both Mayfield and Rosen to varying degrees.
1: And actually, in a couple of shows I had on this year, and for either one of these guys, I mean. They were to get this team to six, seven wins in year one. I mean there's going to be jerseys hanging next to LeBron's. <laughs> I mean that is the yeoman job you've done here. but I want to shift over to Lamar Jackson here. I think the biggest knock I would have on Lamar Jackson is the NFL there is, there's maybe four or five teams in the NFL that actually know how to properly use him in otherwise everywhere else he's wasted.
0: You're absolutely correct, and it's something that's bothered me for years watching the league. Is it's been so slow to adjust to the incoming talent, the incoming schemes. Um, You know, we're seeing it more and more, and Philadelphia is a great example. But we still have to remember, as as often as we heard RPO in the last week, which drove me absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Drove you absolutely bonkers, especially since most of them weren't even RPOs. Well, that's Anyhow. the thing,
1: because my wife thinks she knows what an RPO <laughs> is now. That's the part that drives me insane. <laughs> even though
0: you have these teams that are are a- adding these um, aspects into their offense, that Philadelphia passing game still rooted in traditional West Coast principles. So it's just an aspect to to put a player like Foles in a position to succeed. And that's you're capable of doing that anywhere. We saw it to an extent with Hugh Jackson in Cincinnati, where he brought the run pass options in with Andy Dalton. And we saw Dalton become far more decisive. And it's not just the RPOs. It's half field reads, getting the ball out quickly, zone read. You know, just aspects that you sprinkle in to keep defenses on their heels so they don't know constantly what you're going to do based on tendencies and formations. And that's important when it comes to bringing in and, and developing young talent. Make them comfortable. You can still teach them the the probe-style concepts you want to within the passing game while adding in some of the things they were comfortable with at Oklahoma or at USC or at UCLA. And this is um, where I see so many fail. And And I know this is a Browns podcast, but I think the best hire we saw – this offseason, was Matt Nagy, who's already implementing some of those things with the Kansas City Chiefs, hiring Mark Helfrich as his offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, the former Oregon Ducks head coach, Mark Helfrich. And that spread concept and those principles that he can now start adding into the same scheme that we saw how explosive was late in the year under Nagy at the Chiefs. So this, to me, when we're looking at it with Jackson, First of all, I do think it's a bit unfair that we constantly box him into certain situations. Whether you have the people that are way off the, off the ranch when it comes to saying he's a wide receiver or a running back. Let's get that out of the way. He's a first-round quarterback prospect. Second of all, I believe he's better from the pocket than we all of us. And I'm not trying to call anyone out. All of us give him credit. Is he inconsistent? Absolutely. But, you know, when I I pointed to something recently that he had more passing attempts than every one of these quarterback prospects we discussed other than Sam Darnold the last two years. And Darnold only had seven more pass attempts. Now, obviously, that's just a statistic uh, based on quantity. It It doesn't give you context of how he's performing, but it shows the confidence that Bobby Petrino had in him as a passer as much as a runner and how much was placed on his shoulders within the passing scheme. The thing with Jackson, as I alluded to in the piece, is he needs to become more consistent with his mechanics, particularly with his footwork. He doesn't have quite the same skill set as Sam Darnold that we discussed earlier. He does have the flick of the wrist release, which allows him to get away with some things, but it also uh, has a tendency for balls to sail when he doesn't have a proper base. If he can consistently drive through the football, which we haven't seen, so that's something that definitely needs work. Then I can see his accuracy uh, increasing to uh, exponentially because I don't see the same uh, inherent flaws in Jackson that I do with a Josh Allen. I see someone that's very comfortable in the pocket, keeps his eyes up, is not a run-first quarterback. We have to keep keep that out of the out of the equation as well. All those narratives, you know how it is. You got it. He's a guy that can throw into tight windows, had pro-style concepts in the Louisville's offense, and threw timing passes as well, and did all these things very well in points in his career. So you just need to make him do them consistently well, and a lot of us are going to stem from improving his mechanics and his footwork.
1: See, and, and I think the biggest, you know, where I say that the problem lies in for Lamar Jackson is you look at where Marcus Mariota is. I mean, look, and you know they've rebounded late. You know, got a playoff win. You know, it, here's three years later, and the Tennessee Titans still have not found a way to put Marcus Mariota in a spot where he's 100% truly comfortable.
0: I don't know if that's scheme related, though. Uh, I think okay. that's almost. I, I I think that's almost as personnel based as it is uh, as it is uh, play calling. I knew Mike Malarkey didn't do a good enough job in the area to help develop Marcus. You know that's obviously why he lost his job. But if you look at the outside talent when it, at the skill positions for the Titans, and and this is something I wrote about in another piece is when you uh, Marcus Mariota is one of the best at anticipating throws and throwing uh, accurately on timing passes. He's absolutely spectacular hitting. Um, his receivers and his targets in stride and allowing them to create. This is what he did at at Oregon very, very well. What he didn't, what he hasn't been able to do at the NFL because of guys like Rashard Matthews and Eric Decker, who have been basically their top two wide receivers the last two years, is those guys aren't getting getting the type of separation and creating after the play that Mariota can really lead them into. And that's why the Corey Davis selection was so instrumental to that offense, and yet his entire season was basically ruined by hamstring issues because he's explosive. He creates separation, and he's spectacular with the ball in his hands. You need guys that can accentuate your quarterback skill set, and that's where I believe Tennessee fell short.
1: Okay, and and you saw, obviously, in the playoff game, Corey Davis scored two touchdowns. Um, it's almost going to be where you know, obviously the new staff, the new regime is going to come in, and Corey Davis remains to you know remains with his health. You know they're going to get the shine because of that. Uh, Mason Rudolph and it's actually you know he labeled him as for you uh, you know obviously the vertical passer. If there's one thing I took away from the senior ball practices, is maybe Mason Rudolph would be viewed differently um, if they didn't always just send James Washington James on Washington deep routes. Because if there's one thing we learned from the senior ball practices, is James Washington. He's pretty damn good on the short underneath routes. They just never really ran him with him.
0: Yeah, you look at Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy offense. Obviously, the entire basis is Hit the ball. vertical passing game. I mean, it's not just it's not just Mason Rudolph. Well, you know, Browns fans can go back to when they watched Brandon Weeden or Josh uh, Josh Robinson or a few years. Zach Robinson, excuse yes. me. You know, um, and it's been the same way this entire time. He's obviously a disciple of the air rate system and those spread concepts that we've seen in college football for years now. And it's successful. So they don't change it or tweak it all that much to where you're consistently seeing, uh, for example, James Washington running rub routes or crossing routes. You know, they want to maximize what he does very, very well. And that's get deep and win 50, 50 balls and create big chunk plays. That's what he did consistently. and, Mason Rudolph really capitalized on this because I I, I don't rem, remember a quarterback that is consistently as accurate on his deep passes. He doesn't have the biggest arm, but his ball placement and timing is simply uncanny. And I'm not talking about Jeff Blake moonshots, you know, where the ball's 50 feet 50 yards in the air and then lands 50 yards deep. You know, he, he his timing is exceptional and, and he knows where to place the ball um in the perfect positions for his receivers to make plays. The irony in in, in that is he's not nearly as consistent in any other phase of the game. And I think part of that is he is a product of his system. And I know I I made the argument earlier, we need to separate individuals from their situations, whether it be personnel or, or um, their system as well. But you the Develop a comfort level with certain throats. And this is a quote I saw today that was absolutely spectacular from John Filippo, former Browns offensive coordinator, former Eagles off quarterback coach, and now Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator.
1: Wasn't needed in Cleveland anymore. Wasn't needed. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe he'll be their head coach next year. <laughs> yeah.
1: Good shot at that, probably.
0: That's the, the, He'll be a hot name. Um, he mentioned how the first day he went to Philadelphia and talked to Carson Wentz, Asked him about the types of throws he's comfortable with and where he feels he struggles. You know, that's what a novel concept, right? You know, <laughs> building around a guy and what he's comfortable doing and what he excels at. That that seems weird. I don't I don't exactly know what that's like when you watch Cleveland go 0 and 16. But Rudolph is that guy that he built that comfort level with that offense, with that driving those passes consistently down the field. And what they weren't asked to do were the deep ends, the crossing patterns. So he wasn't nearly as accurate because he wasn't throwing a 1,000 um, times a week. And so w- what we're looking at is a traditional pocket passer that's going to be best fit in a vertical game that needs to develop. You know, he, he fits the prototype, too. It's nearly six foot five, two 230-ish pounds. He's that guy... That doesn't move well in the pocket. And to me, the biggest question mark about Rudolph moving forward is how's he going to react when he's legitimately pressured? Because he's one of those guys this year, you know, all young quarterbacks struggle with pressure, some more than others, and he falls into that category. Um, because he's able to get consistently good protection, at least for the most part, have a strong running game, and those spectacular receivers on the outside. You very rarely saw him a situation where he was staring down that proverbial gun barrel and saying, "You know what, stand and deliver, baby." You know, like I, like Josh Rosen, he's not that guy.
1: No, You know, it's it's interesting though, and, and he hit so many big throws. And you know, look, it almost one think that maybe Gundy needs to spend more time on the defensive side because it's great that he can drop 50 week in and week out. Uh, but you need to kind of hold somebody else from dropping 50 week in and week out. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Big 12. Uh, Luke Falk, um, great rhythm passer, needs a stout O line. Uh, it was an interesting senior ball week for him. Obviously, real tough times for the Washington State program. Obviously, you know, teammate, obviously, you know, fellow quarterback from the quarterback room, you know, how to deal with all that. Um, Luke Falk is one of those, man, when he's hot, it's pretty. And when he's cold, it could be a month.
0: <laughs> you want first of all, Oh, uh, not only was it a tough week because of the circumstance, tough week because he was playing through a broken hand um that required surgery at, towards the end of the season, you know, which leads immediately to the concerns with his game, his slight frame and can he handle NFL pressure, not only the the beating he will event, uh, ultimately take, but just standing up to it, which really he didn't at any point during his Washington State career. You could even say he regressed at certain points. You know, if you look at their offensive line, just mammoth you know you had the uh, they, had,
1: they had one guy not invited to the combine because he was six foot nine 360 that nobody wanted to see him work out
0: yeah the the continent cody o'connell at yeah. left guard <laughs> that's how big he is they didn't i mean, invite him because he's too big you know you know mike leach has a history of getting those massive offensive linemen because they they just need to get in the way and i know that sound for coming from an uh, ex-offensive lineman and big ugly myself that, that that sounds like sacrilege that i state that but he knows it's a rhythm passing game and he's going to get the ball as quickly as possible you know i, I believe 80, 80 some percent of 80 percent of of um folks passes were within five yards the past year so if you look at what he does he does extremely well and what i mentioned is he's an anticipatory thrower he's someone that sees the throw and throws receivers open and that's that's a difficult trait to teach a quarterback. Again, that's something to me that's part, innate to a degree, and you can only learn how to do it so much from your coaches without being able to have some natural degree of doing it as well. And that to, but he's lacking not only in you know stature and ment- pocket awareness and in and, and those areas that even though he's a self- made man as a walk on. And the Pac 12's all time leading passer. I really struggled with watching him because you see points where he's absolutely spectacular. I remember watching Colorado against Colorado two seasons ago. He made a few throws that were just phenomenal. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe he's moving up. Maybe he's that guy that can kind of surprise us in the process. And then, you know, he's the same quarterback that Mike Leach benched as a senior just before he's about to break the Pac-12 passing record. Or actually, I'm sorry, right after. Right after he broke the record. So uh, you're you're getting a mixed bag with him. And when I look at this quarterback class, you have the top five, and then you have everyone else. And so much about the position is value and where you can land it and and how you can build around it. You know, Seattle did such a wonderful job identifying their guy, knowing his true value and going after him much earlier than anyone expected in the third round when they acquired Russell Wilson. Well, if you're Cleveland, the opposite needs to happen. You are in a position where, you know, you can get your guy. And it's, it's important to look at guys like Falk and Mike White and, guys later down the stretch to to evaluate them but you know in your heart of hearts that you could pick anyone you want with that first pick and you haven't been in that position at least with the quarterback an elite quarterback prospect since 1999 and tim couch was pretty good he wasn't great and injuries end up ruining his career but he showed he could be a face of a franchise and that's what this team has lacked for so long that you can't bypass that opportunity when it's there so I love talking quarterbacks all night long, and we can go, we can go with La and go even further today. I know I didn't write about them, but um, this is a very simple decision to me. Get the guy you believe can be the guy and be done with it. Don't mess around with the situation. Find your face of the franchise and finally put the pieces around him and it's that simple to me.
1: And that's even the one I want to go to, uh, you know Greg Gabriel, and look, you know a lot of guys want to hound him on Twitter which I I just don't get. Look, I mean, the guy's got the track record. We know what he's done. We know his resume. And he said, well, you know, maybe there's players they value higher. I I can understand that for a lot of circumstances. I cannot understand it when I'm drafting one and four. So if I really, really like Minka Fitzpatrick, I'll draft him at one, and then I'll take whatever quarterbacks left it for? that's That's the part I don't get. No, no, no. Look at the quarterback position. Who's the top guy? Draft him. That's it. End the discussion. You know, uh, well, maybe, they, maybe, maybe, no. Whoever you got number one on your board, guys, I don't care if it's February 27th, March 27th, or April 27th. That's your guy. Take him. If that's the guy, take him. And you're still going to get a really good player at four. At four. You're going to get another really good player at 33. You're going to get another player at 35. It's, it's such a simple process. The last thing you need to do is overthink it, try to get too cute, and screw yourself.
0: Exactly. And what makes this year's draft class so unique is there's not a Miles Garrett. And by that I mean an elite talent like, at a premium like, position. Every,
1: yeah, because everybody last year would thought, well, you didn't take Mitch Trubisky. You can't fault them taking Miles no. Garrett. You, you, you 100% cannot.
0: You're never taking Trubisky number one over a Miles mm-hmm. Garrett. I'm sorry. You're just not doing it. It's because he was that rare of a talent. And this year, what you're looking at is Saquon Barkley, running back, Quentin Nelson. Guard, Minka Fitzpatrick, safety? Maybe? I mean, you're not looking at the investments at the required uh, foundation blocks of a football team. And I'm someone that absolutely despises positional value, but I also understand it plays a very big part in the decision. You know, you're not going to take guard number one, even if you truly believe Quentin Nelson is the best player in a draft class. Because his value doesn't speak to the same level that a potential franchise quarterback can. Saquon Barkley is also in the running as the number one overall prospect in this class. It depends on, on your viewpoint once you evaluate the two of them. But you make the argument, or some make the argument, that you can. there are multiple good quarterbacks. Why not just wait to take one of four? Well, guess what? The running back class is absolutely stacked. So why would you necessarily use the number one overall pick on that player the only reason you do so is for instant gratification, and, and that's what it boils down to. Are you building a franchise that you want to become a consistent winner, or do you want to win more games in 2017? That's the only question mark at this point, because if you're sitting where the Cleveland Browns are, it's quarterback or bust. Your owner has said so. Your general manager has said so. Your head coach has said a lot of things, but he, we know he needs a quarterback. So it comes down to identify whomever you believe is that top Prospect at the quarterback position. Whoever you're most comfortable with, whoever you believe has the best long-term potential, select him, and then you got 11 more picks, including another top five to selection, to round out the rest of your roster.
1: 100%. Guys, uh, Chris Manning locked on Cavs. Check him out. Uh, obviously, very busy right now uh, as the Cavs pretty much uh, basically burned the house to the ground, and you know bought in some rentals. Uh, You know, bought three new rental homes for everybody to live in. But Chris Manning does a great job over there. And the one thing I did want to say, Brent, as far as with, you know, Saquon. Yeah, you took Saquon number one. You still don't have a quarterback. So guess what, kid? We've seen a couple of games where you struggled because we knew your offensive line was inferior. Your quarterback was good. Was good, not great. Now, what's going to happen when there's eight to nine guys in the box every play because nobody has any respect for the quarterback you're playing behind? So, yeah, he, you know, fantastic player, but if you still don't have the quarterback position, it doesn't matter if it's Saquon Barkley, it doesn't matter if it's you know, Lady on Bell. If you do not have a solid threat at the quarterback position and a solid threat in the passing game, it's, it doesn't matter who the running back is. It could be Jim Brown who can bring him back. It's not going to matter. <laughs>
0: You know, something we haven't discussed so far through the show is while both of us are dead, or are completely set on a quarterback with the number one overall pick, now maybe you can agree with me on this or not, that is not the only move the Cleveland Browns need to undertake to improve the quarterback position. It should be a veteran plus Absolutely. the number one overall pick. Now, the veteran options are limited, and there's no denying that whether it's going to be Alex Smith off the market now, and let's not, let's not believe Kirk Cousins is legitimately considering Cleveland because he's not. <laughs> he, he, the Browns are leveraging those negotiations.
1: I mean, but you want to know what, though? I don't know why anyone believes it. Everyone said Kirk Cousins has been an animal. He's doing his homework. He's studying everything. Guys, what in the world makes you think that turns up that Cleveland is a possibility? I mean, he, he's, he, okay, well, let's see. Uh, they never go to the playoffs. Yeah, that's going to get you off the list pretty quick, guys.
0: Exactly. Well, you know, it keeps you on the list. One hundred and ten million dollars in cap space is what.
1: Okay, do you want to give him one hundred and five? I mean, you know, otherwise. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there are other legitimate
0: <laughs> options. What, and I know a lot of people don't want to discuss AJ McCarron. Uh, we'll find out here in less than a week whether I'll he's. Pay him.
1: I'll pay him. I won't give up capital for him.
0: Well, that's the thing. Is he going to be unrestricted or restricted free agent? That That's going to occur within the, the next week uh, once his grievance is heard by the NFL. Um, you have other options. Look at the Minnesota trio. Um, Bradford, Bridgewater, Keenum, all three capable starters. Obviously, you want to make sure they're healthy. That's a big part of that equation. Um, you can even return to Luke McCown, or excuse me, Luke, Josh McCown, messing up my McCown brothers at this point. You know there are options out there, and good options, solid options, not guys that are going to become, you know, your star beyond 2018 and into 2019, 2020. Uh, maybe if you make a deal for Nick Foles, I don't expect that simply because uh, one of the statistics I brought up uh, on on Twitter is it, it blows my mind. The combination of Nick Foles and Carson Wentz next year, both their salary cap hits combined are fewer than 18 is fewer than 18 different starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So there's absolutely no reason for the the Eagles to make a move unless you're offering up a first or second round pick, which I'm assuming most Browns fans probably wouldn't do for Nick Foles, or at least not prefer. So, but there are are avenues and multiple avenues to research, to to potentially uh, pursue to, give these young quarterbacks who are exceptionally talented time to adjust because today's quarterbacks are coming into the league younger and less prepared than we've ever seen them. That doesn't mean they're not talented and it doesn't mean they can't produce early in their career. You just want to have them in the best situation possible to earn that position and develop to, at their rate. And you don't want to push an individual beyond what they're capable of. And that's what we exactly what we saw with Deshaun Kaiser this season, when he was the last man standing, and basically said, "Here, here you go, young man. Here's the ball, and good luck."
1: Yeah, and then you know, and but you want to know what though? And the other thing is, is you know, I'm going to say you're my guy. I'm going to ride you no matter what. And then any chance I feel that it's necessary that I'm looking bad, I'm going to drop the hammer on you like you're a ten-year veteran. Which is no, weird. you're not. Right. No, it's correct. Yep. Which you did after, you know, and this is after, you know, Kaiser basically left Notre Dame because the same thing happened to him there. So for two years in a row from 20 to 21, just getting dumped on. Uh, The thing with Falls is if I'm Philly, I keep him because, look, you have no guarantees that Carson Wentz is ready to go week one next year. And the other thing is with the team you have, there is no reason to even rush it. So if there's even a slight question, throw Falls out there. What, maybe he plays first two, three weeks. Obviously, you saw the way he can look, and you know they know how to game plan, for, you know call plays for him and set him up in a position to succeed. He does that. Um, we know there'll be two, three, four quarterbacks that get injured between OTAs. Obviously, you know uh, preseason, first couple of weeks of the season. I think that is when his value would be greatest. It, you know, you have a team that maybe went two and one, but lost a quarterback, and now all of a sudden Carson Wentz is back. Maybe that's your best time to move him. So I think he will be an eagle, you know, I definitely at least up until maybe next year at the trade deadline. Um, Brent, uh, before we wrap this up here, let everybody know what they're going to be expecting for you, your readers, you know, next couple of weeks.
0: Oh, I'd have to look at my schedule to be quite honest with you. Uh,
1: Place kickers and holders?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm concentrating on long snappers. I'm, I've timed them all. I've hand-timed them all. No, in all seriousness, um, stuff I'm looking towards roster management, and I know I have a couple projects looking at potential uh, veterans being cut, uh, you know, just to get names out there to get a better understanding of potential situations, and uh, for example, today, I had wrote the best trade scenarios for every team. Um, Obviously, a little bit of that is pie in the sky, but you want to see mainly, it's almost like a mock draft when you're writing those type of articles, because there are discussion this, they, they're there to create discussion but also a better understanding of who may be available why they may but be available and and what teams could be interested or why they're willing to move on from them and that and that's going to be a heavy emphasis here leading into the combine a lot of work concentrating on rosters potential player movement leading into um, you know free agent combine the free agency and then ultimately the draft.
1: Uh, yeah, Brent. Uh, look, the door's always open. You got anything you want to come push? Uh, you're more than welcome back. Trust me, you're gonna be back here a couple times well before April. Uh, so, a pleasure having you guys. Check out all his work, uh, work at Bleacher Report. Follow Brent on Twitter, guys. Uh, does a fantastic job. Uh, his pieces are long, in depth. Even today, like he, like you he said, uh, 32 teams, you know, possible trade candidates and that's forth. Uh, check out the work, guys. Uh, again, you guys have been fantastic to me. The appreciation, uh, all the listens, all the downloads. Uh, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at LockedOnBrowns. Uh, it's a follow-back account. You guys have been fantastic as far as, you know, funneling to me who you want. Look, guys, I keep pushing for the players. Duke Johnson, as soon as we get one of these guys to respond, guys, I get them up here in a heartbeat. Um, there'll be a lot more coming. We have draft prospects. I'm going to have them coming on in the next couple of weeks. I've had some really good talks, uh, you know, with some agencies, with PR people here. So we're going to get some prospects. Not too many want to come on pre-combine. These guys are really focused in, you know, as that is you know pretty much the biggest, you know, Basically, it's the only job uh, interview process these guys are going to go through if it all pans out right for them. So we'll get some of those guys pretty much in the downtime after the combine. Uh, Follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd on Twitter. I appreciate you guys so much. Let's go, Browns. Uh, I I believe we got Jake Burns. I believe Steven will be back. We might be able to get another fan speak for you guys. You guys love those episodes. Uh, We should be able to get one of those over the weekend. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night.